Welcome to the Petro Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Trisha Curtis, CEO of Petro Nerds. This show combines upstream and midstream expertise in a Rocky Mountain showdown. So, hello everyone, and uh, welcome to the Petro Nerds Podcast. Um, you'll notice that I am, we're not in my uh, dining room, at my dining room table. Yeah, on location. Uh, yeah, in my usual place. We're on location. Um, and so, it is, a, it is, I always say this, but it is a, a truly special treat. So, I love doing um, from a technical perspective, I do not love doing in-person podcasts, but in-person podcasts are fun because we are on location. Um, so I am in Houston. This is um, episode 50 of the Petronas podcast, and I'm here um, at the offices of Petro AI with the CEO um, of Petro AI. Um, and so we are going to get into, I'm going let, to uh, let Troy sort of introduce himself a little bit and talk about the company. We, we're going to sort of talk about what Petro AI is because it's very nerdy and cool, um, very similar <laughs> to Petro Nerds. Um, and they had me come down last night for a dinner they were doing and, and we were talking shop and talking about the market. So we, we'll talk about that as well. Um, and what I'd like to do is sort of, you know, ask, ask you about your business, Troy, what it exactly is, and we'll dovetail it. You know, you haven't listened to the podcast yet, but you will become a huge fan. Huge fan. Very quickly. Um, we'll talk about, the, I'd love to talk about the macro in the market. There's a lot going on. Um, and I always timestamp these podcasts with, um, you know, oil prices right now. It is Tuesday, um, June 21st, 2022. Oil prices are 111.30 for WTI, 115.15 for Brent. Um, and that gas is, we're under the seven handle. We are 679. Um, a lot going on there with, with taking LNG supplies offline from Freeport. Um, and mortgage rates are above six, per, just above 6%. They're hovering around these levels, but we did have new home sales come in or yeah, existing home sales come in um, today and they were within expectations, but they were at a two year low. So I think lots of headwinds for the mortgage side, happy to take that tangent as well. It is, it does implicate oil prices, but with all that being said, um, it's so nice to have you on the podcast, Troy. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks yeah. for thanks for coming to Petra AI. Thanks for coming down to Houston, John yeah. Gertech, and glad we could do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell us uh, and tell us what what is in in a short you know in in a, you know thirty seconds. How do you what is Petra AI? What do you do? Uh, Petra AI delivers a DSU design service, which basically means uh, we help you optimize your infill placement of wells. So what we found is the most critical technical decision you make to develop your reservoir is where you place your wells, uh, especially offsetting parent and children. And the DSU design service brings a lot of the latest science, both in terms of geoscience and AI, to the problem. And uh, we're able to deliver high accuracy forecasts that then the whole team can critique and improve their understanding of the reservoir and optimize that DSU. So uh, we've designed over 180 wells. Um, we've been active in pretty much every major basin. Uh, we're working with 10 drilling programs right now to apply the, basically optimize each one as you go. And um, uh, we've seen over $1.5 billion worth of capital uh, be advised through the system. So this is, it's a big deal. It's very new. Uh, we've been working on it for a while, a bit in stealth. And so Ertech uh, was a coming out party starting to tell people and ring the bell on it. Nice. Uh, so Ertech is the Unconventional Resources Technology Conference. It is, it's, this is SPA, believe, so Society for Petroleum Engineers, and this is taking place in Houston right now. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm slammed with uh, lots of deliverables, so I'm not actually attending Ertech, unfortunately, <laughs> but I love it. I usually try to get back on nerdy stuff. What's well, all the nerdy stuff? Yeah. You know? yeah. So you guys are pre you're presenting a paper, or, and with you did this with, uh, this was so awesome, with Mark Zoback, yeah. um, who I am just like a 
uber nerd fan, um, have his books. I'm, I'm not, I, I just self-taught myself enough engineering stuff to understand the NGO stuff, but he was at the dinner last night. But so you, you're talking about DSUs, you're talking about completions, which is a topic I really like and don't often get enough to dive into it. Yeah. Um, and we've had a lot of previous conversations we've been talking, so there's a couple angles I want to take this, but I would still think that if you're listening to this right now, you may say, okay, well, I understand those concepts, but exactly how you're helping company, you're working with directly with the APs, large, most, yeah. large, and you're helping them enhance their already their, their data sets and understanding and everything they have in completions to make them better. Um, it's actually beginning more out of the, out of the well, but you're also, you're pulling in, uh, is it a, all the data the company already has and you're pulling in looking at it different ways, or are you also adding more to that? Uh, we're adding a lot more. Uh, so we have developed a library of models uh, that we've actually built with um, operators using their science pad data. Mm -hmm. And so we can actually predict things because we've seen it happen elsewhere in the basin and we can tie it to data that the operator has. And okay. so it's, it's a collaborative uh, uh, service where we work closely. It's, it's a lot of proprietary data that we bring in. So the model is highly customized for the acreage. And what we find is people can actually end up getting massively improved NPVs just by dropping one well, by rearranging the stack, by either increasing the intensity of completions with respect to well spacing or decreasing it. And I think these are really important things because uh, a lot of the costs for a well are gonna be a moving target, I think. And um, the subsurface adds an importance, I mean, it's your bank account. Uh, and so you need to, once you've acquired that acreage, you gotta get the most of it you can. And so we're getting a lot of pull from uh, small private operators or mm -hmm. PE-back operators that are lean teams. Yep. Um, you know, they do technical work, but they're also organizing yep. all the logistics for the wells. And they're also running on tight capital budgets. They're trying to remain in cash flow. Uh, so having a better sense of what these wells will produce is very important for their budgeting cycles, for understanding if they should pick up another rig. Yep. Um, and as we've seen, private operators are really pushing a lot of the growth on the rig count. They're dominating it. Yeah, yeah. and we also work with public operators mm -hmm. too. And, um, you know, I think those focused uh, small publics are also starting to pick up activity. Um, and I think it's a big warming trend in, into just the industry getting back to optimizing their core asset and getting the most out of that now that the commodity prices are so high. So, okay, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack yeah. there. A lot of angles I want to take this because. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. I, I love, uh, well, let's go, because I, I love, I, I think people would say, and I mentioned to this before, I think a lot of people would say, hey, completions are, let's say completions are dead, but it's it's the you know nerdy stuff on tinkering with completions, tinkering with wall spacing. Um, you know, I have worked, I mean, I, I've been doing this business since, you know, I came out of, came out of undergrad, I'm third generation oil and gas, so I'm very pretty familiar how company of the industry works as you are. Um, and I would say the evolution of, you know, tinkering with wall designs and completions, we did see a leveling off of that. Certainly COVID, you know, killed a lot of people's excitement, but even before then, it, people were viewing this sort of in a, as a manufacturing mode. Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, nerdy, just tweaking on, on completion side. Um, and the big, one of the big issues with it is simply, I permitted this, right? And I already have this existing wall spacing. And if you're on federal land, that, that's definitely the case. Mm -hmm. So I permitted, I have my existing wall spacing and I'm sort of doing it. And then a lot of people also viewed that the private side and the PE side was sort of done very inaccurately, very, it was a, one of the, a big misstep in the market. I mean, we're talking large private equity entities essentially said that privates are over. The, 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 
one in one rig, two rig companies are dead. And, and that's opposite of the case that we've seen, you know, the growth in the Permian is, is there's still a lot of one rig, two rig companies yeah. and mom pops. And it is that exactly of that, you know, model of how can we maximize what's going on under, you know, underneath the rock. These yeah. commodity prices have certainly helped that. I'm not sure we would, we wouldn't be having the same type of discussion and we may end up going back to six cell oil so we can come back and revisit this, but our discussion would look different if we were talking about six cell oil versus $110 oil or north of $100 oil. Yeah. And so I think the ability to, the desire of companies to want to get more um, from every well is critically important. Yeah. Um, and that's also something I'm not sure, not sure folks are actually, I, I know they're not appreciating it on the macro side because everything we talk about and what we talked about last night gives me, I'm way more optimistic about oil production in the U.S. than I think most are, yeah. and the ability to get more from Iraq is huge. But I, I would like to ask you about that, you know, companies using your product, tinkering with stuff, and, and for, not even forget your product, but viewing on the market of these, like, um, tinkering with completions, tinkering with well spacing. So I, I completely agree with you. I think last night we at the meet, at the dinner, we were talking about Bakken, um, and I always thought, you know, if you adjusted in certain areas of the Bakken, you know, if you added a well um, and just narrowed the spacing a smidgen and tinkered with completions, because the evolution of completions is, they're not that robust in, in the Bakken. And part of that's because the evolution of the business and everybody moved down to the Permian and the Eagleford and it just saw, kind of lost the love and everyone held their acreage and you just didn't have to. Um, but this tinkering stuff is really interesting to me because it's like, you already have the asset, you're doing it. And we don't always see people pushing the envelope. Right. Um, you think that's shifting. I think it's shifting for a couple reasons. First off, uh, the actually the decisions of well spacing are typically decided um, for a private operator at the investor level. So even yes. when they go out and they get money for that particular yep. DSU, that decision can already be baked. Yep. So uh, we're already seeing design cycles where uh, the investors and the operators are using our DSU design service to look for the best economics with this moving oil price and beliefs of where it's going to go. Okay, And that's because actually well spacing is a function of OFS cost and commodity price. Mm -hmm. So actually you should adjust your well spacing as commodity ch changes and as the cost of the well. So for instance, if a well goes from 8 to 12 million on average to drill, which it's hard, I mean, everyone's experiencing rising well costs. That actually changes your exploitation strategy at the reservoir. I think where operators are right now, uh, what we're seeing is they want to start thinking about tinkering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> think before tink, maybe, mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, but they want to start getting ready for it. And they want to get ready for a more aggressive uh, development of their acreage. Now, was that, you think that's skewed a little bit? So I would think that the big, your big publics, your majors, are um, are not tinkering yet. They're thinking about tinkering. Your independents are closer to uh, kind of t not selling the market, well, just thinking about wanting to do it. And then your privates are probably in the mode of uh, we have to tinker because we are we got to get the most. So did, it, let's talk a little bit about the quality of acreage and the role of tinkering and getting economics out of that acreage. Oh, wonderful. Okay. We're gonna debate. He hasn't listened to the podcast, so he doesn't know my thoughts on tier one to tier four acres, so we will get at that. But yeah, yeah. have at Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I think uh, for a lot of the larger companies, they picked up tier one acreage. In tier one acreage, depending on how you purchased it, you really don't want to mess it up, I think, is the idea. So you can put in a good completion design and a good, um, you can optimize, you can get more out of it, but right. you also won't lose your shirt on it. Right. 
as soon as you go to tier two and below, you can lose your shirt. Um, you can easily make um, economic pads and uh, struggle to get returns. And so you need to be more technical. Mm -hmm. But when you approach tier two and below technically, you can actually make really good economics. So it may not produce the volumes that a tier one acreage can produce, but it can produce better economics depending on how you picked up that acreage yep. and how you develop it. So I think a big trend is going to be um, we're going to get more out of this tier two and below acreage than we thought we could. And we're going to keep expanding the capability. And, and we have been doing that. It's exactly, like, yeah, it's been the trend. And, uh, but it's just, it hasn't percolated to investor sentiment yet. So I think investors are still a little gun shy to move on zip codes that they're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And they've seen repeated success because there has been a lot of challenges in different areas and different zip codes. Um, and I think with what, when we saw this trend a while ago, we actually saw the well spacing challenge a while ago. And we said, you know, this is going to be the rest of shale. The rest of shale is putting in child wells. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of these operators that are putting together ambitious campaigns, it involves lots of child mm -hmm. wells. And so making sure that those are placed correctly, that we're learning the entire time is gonna be critical for the ramp up uh, for these operators, because most operators haven't had to deal with child wells. Good example is these small small operators with lean teams um, are now dealing with uh, bounded wells. Um, they're dealing with even offset neighbors that are fracking into their mm -hmm. area. And the larger um, publics were used to that uh, because they had such large areas and they developed programs for mitigation. Um, but for these privates, they're sort of jigsawed in yep. with everyone else, and uh, you know you're moving the rig around, and uh, so and they didn't. That's, I think that's a fascinating aspect to just hold on for one second is that I don't think people appreciate that if I'm a, one, the business of the privates is huge. So we, I was talking about this last night, but if you're, if you're ripping apart every basin and you're ripping apart the, even the whole U.S. or just every basin, and, and I always color code them as like, you know, you know purple is the privates and, and orange, I call it my businesses, and orange is like public, and you look at it, at your, and you can see like, look, everybody on the public side is very cored up. They got this mm -hmm. nice, neat, you know, everybody's cored in these areas, whereas the privates are everywhere, whether that's ducks, whether that's permits, whether it's where they're drilling. Um, and so where they're nestled and what they're doing and how they develop, you know, they can't just mow down I mean, in a given area because it might be chunking a piece around mm -hmm. it. And I think um, I would say, and, and always argue that I think, you know, investors and folks in New York, especially on the public side, they may cover companies, but I don't know if they always intimately understand the interworkings of the business. Yeah. Um, because it's hard. You have to be yeah. on the ground, boots on the ground to like see it and, and truly understand it as opposed to just, you know, listening to your earnings call and saying, okay, which which direction are you going? So if you think of the layer and the complexity of what you just said of a, a private company, you know, being you know, nestled in between something and thinking about, you know, from a nerdy rock perspective of how do I develop my benches and how do I yeah. do this and what, and also how do I articulate that to my investors and, yeah. you know, the PE backer and does, do they understand it? And do they get that, that, you know, my offset operator does matter and how do I put this all together? I mean, that's huge and yeah. very complex. And it, it produces a lot of deal friction for them. Absolutely. So, um, you know, in light of all that, they also need to continue to get funding to keep putting money in the ground. Yep. And, uh, and have successful wells. That, that environment just has created a lot of deal friction. And I, I think, you know, I just said my hope and I, I, what we're doing right now, every single one of these private operators when they pick up Petri-I will be punching with Devon from a technical perspective. You know, so what if every single private operator operated like the best 
That's a lot of oil. Well, <laughs> and that's a lot. That's a lot a, of value that yeah. that people are sitting on. Um, because there are best practices to apply that the leaders in the space have really have pushed. And we've worked with several of them um, who have fantastic returns. Uh, and we're, we're packaging that up into this service. And we're bringing, because if all those private operators started optimizing every piece of the reservoir, just like the, the, the focus players are, yep. that's a tremendous... That's a tremendous change in our efficiency to extract resource for the same dollar. 100%. 100% agree. And so when people always ask me, and I, I know and I, I know people in the business, and I, I'm you know, exposed on a, on a macro side with different folks I work with and some folks I work with you know, across the value chain of oil and gas in and outside the industry as well. And I do think that something, um, you know, when I'm in London or I'm abroad or something, and especially, actually, I would say in the Middle East, the appreciation of this is of like, what's our rock potential? Um, mm -hmm. And most of us in this space know, like we, we have a ton of natural gas, it's mm -hmm. small molecules, easy to get out, we're, we're not even sort of tapping it. But there's, a, there's more skepticism on oil. You know, how far can we really go? And you could argue, I mean, inflation, you know, ability to get people in the field, all that is, is hurting it. But I always say, you know, if we're betting on a technical rock perspective, mm -hmm. um, I have said this for years and years, um, and probably when I first started the podcast, I said a lot, but. What you just characterize is it's critically important and not well understood by the market at all is that if if sub I wouldn't even say subpart companies, but smaller companies that didn't have access to the this nerdy data stuff and the, the tinkering and everything and now they do or they can just better optimize the rock. Yeah. Um, that's game changing. And you can think about it from, you know, when in the Bakken several years ago, um, you I would go to the those the rock classes they would have on the back of their conferences and it's you know it's five or six hour like rock class you're going through the geology and the fascinating thing to me is it would be like you know the, the lower ventures of the, th the three forks and they're like nah we won't you know we won't be doing that and be like you look at the cores and you're like yeah, that's some of this is gonna be hard to put lateral in but the ability is they or this is you can't put a lateral in here but can you get the the oil out and then they did and so what we've seen consistently is that it these plays actually do better than we think so yeah. it's this is where i have a little bit of difficulty sometimes when we categorize like tiers of acreage because um, one, beauty is sort of in the eye of the beholder sometimes, and mm -hmm. folks see, hey, I think I can do this, and if you're private, your return metrics are very different. And so the ability to sort of, um, we, we have done it in three forks where people said we weren't gonna be able to, to go into different bench of three forks. Is it as productive necessarily as the core of the Bakken? No, not necessarily, but can you, can you get more out of it? And high oil prices really do matter, even if we were to drop to $80 a barrel, which we're gonna make sure we talk about, but you would still be doing a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And so I think the ability, if you're, um, the ability to get better at the stuff we already know, and, um, and people aren't thinking about this either because I think what happened in 2020 was so different and nuanced than previous downturns where people usually you know, get smart and, and slow down. And a lot of companies did. I think a lot of publics even did. And, and I tell people this all the time. I said it last night, you see it in the data. Well, performance is not declining. It's not disintegrating. You know, we're, not, we're not falling off a cliff. Yeah, let me, let me jump on that Please well Please don't interrupt me. Uh, yeah, because I've been, I myself have been thinking about what's the impact that our approaches and and competitive and you know similar approaches mm -hmm. where we're we're maximizing the full volume of the reservoir. Uh, I've been thinking about what that compares to, and I think it's it's going to be a similar effect as when we learned we could start drilling longer laterals. I think it's going to be that magnitude, and it's going to be so that'll put it in the you know up to fifty percent improvement. 
potentially depending on where and how yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's a big, it's a big, so I think investors looking at the space, they've fallen behind on the technical side 100%. and they're going to have a lot of trouble staying up like with their financial models. Like in the end, you do get to a tight curve when you understand an area, but that type of those numbers matter a lot. And um, also the flexibility and your ability to change exploitation strategies based on OFS changes and commodity changes. That's gonna be really important. So having like trustworthy acreage, that's gonna be really important. It's not tier one, tier two, et cetera. Right. It's trustworthy and, acreage and that you can exploit. It's knowing it and exploiting it. And it's also being, it's that knowing the market, which is what, uh, you know, we were talking about this last night, but it's like, sometimes it's like, well, what do I need to know what's going on in the market? It's like, cause all this stuff gets put together. We are seeing, I would say, I, would, I perceive a, even by the, the group of operators that we were talking with last night, is that on the private equity or small private operators, um, a lean in on the technical capacity. So mm -hmm. better, we need to understand a rock, we need to exploit it better. Um, and we need to also understand the market and yeah. how, this all, how this all folds together and, and trying to be ahead of the curve as opposed to behind it. Now, the proof's in the pudding when, if oil prices were to correct and how everyone reacts. Yeah. Um, but in theory, and that's why I say this, the 2020 was different was that People really um, lost their heads with the ESG stuff and, and went crazy, and we have not seen the public's you know lead in the space of, of yeah. both from a, for all all intents and purposes they they're not leaders in the space and then they've capped out to um, you know net zero and all this investor pressure. But it's the privates that sort of have this real opportunity right now where yeah. prices are high. Where I mean you're seeing seeing the data, but the ability for them to exploit the rock is um, super exciting. But that. And I think it's going to it's going to be huge for the industry because I think we're transitioning into a drill to value phase. Uh, there's not a lot of new acreage to lock in and flip, mm -hmm. so it's all pick up the yep. acreage and get the most dollars you can out of it while you have it. And it is a finite resource, and we really don't have great techniques for going back and getting an EOR out of mm -hmm. the field yet. So I think this phase in shale is going to be drill to value, good technical work, um, and connecting that technical work to the investors that support the industry. So we have smart dollars coming in and ones that want to counter on the inflationary and recession mm -hmm. hedge. So I think the money that went through the first part, there's new money that wants to come in. Mm -hmm. And I think they're excited about the returns that shale can provide. So when we look at the IRRs for these pads, yep. they're fantastic. You can't find a commercial real estate project that competes with the IRRs. Um, and, but that means that new investors are gonna have to get comfortable with the space. Uh, it means there's gonna be new financial avenues uh, for these private operators to get access to capital and keep drilling. And so I, I think there's, I think getting capital is hard. Um, and I think it's more tied to a worry that the price hasn't stabilized yet, that um, people are still warming into this let's thrive mentality. Uh, so I think I think there's a lot of preparation for it in hopes that the oil price stays up yes. for a sustained period of time. And then I think it will come in. So I think it's just gonna lag a little bit more because it's such, such a hard downturn. But you've said things that I think I know we wouldn't have talked about it. Um, and sometimes it, you can drink your own Kool-Aid and get excited, but I, I'm, I can be bearish on price. And it's funny because when we were given the presentation last night, somebody told me, don't sound overly bearish. And I was like, 
I, I'm, I sometimes I'm, I am quite bearish on the global economy um, and oil prices are coming down. But in terms of, I'm very bullish on the long-term outlook for shale, albeit you know regulations and stuff aside and what it has to offer. But you've said a lot of things that I think even just a year ago, people would be scratching their head. It probably still are. You know, one, a lot of oil, two, new investors, uh, and three, you know, this similarity to longer laterals. And I think I've, I've talked about a ton with, with clients in the podcast is that you, we cannot under, you cannot, um, you know, overhype or overappreciate or um, really, you know, synthesize the magnitude of drilling longer laterals. Mm-hmm. And it's been a huge game changer, and it sounds very simple, but it's it's the ability for companies that have block, actually blocked up their acreage mm-hmm. who are consistently now drilling two to three mile long laterals. Mm-hmm. And um, the, what that does from a cost perspective and just an efficient, forget even the cost, just from an efficiency standpoint, and the f- that we haven't seen diminishing marginal returns on the longer parts of those laterals. Well, and I think when you mentioned the completion tinkering, this is where completions are so important. Absolutely. Because all the completions tinkering has really improved the performance of the longer laterals. So there's and that's getting, the understanding of the, the that completion is also understanding of the rock and the ability to execute on that. Right. And, and, and from a technical perspective, one, being able to drill it, and because a lot of people were just gun shy of it, of like, let's not go there. And But that was partly influenced by, you know, the heads of the company and, and the completion side is, can we get that value out of that, into that well? And now you're saying that- And think about the number of companies that are comfortable drilling really long laterals now yep. and able to execute it. Yep. So I think what we're going to see in this next phase is sustained longer laterals where it makes sense. Um, and then this drainage concept that, that I've talked about and we put in our DSP mm-hmm. design service, that's the next, I mean, that is as big as longer laterals and is tied to more completions, improvement and optimization. So as soon as you start to put your wells to the correct spacing based on the oil price, then uh, there's more to learn and to optimize within those structures. And that's where the completions can layer. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, let's, we'll loop back on the DSU stuff because I want to explain that to, to listeners and, mm-hmm. and complete stuff a little bit. But I want to go back a bit to this, the new investor thing. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where I think, as we were talking before, I think the value for listeners is often, um, obviously with, what's the nerdy aspects of your business, but your perceptions of the market and stuff. And I think these new investors uh, absolutely, in 2020, um, I mean, I was seeing it from the, I, w- I called them the private, private investors. You know, you had P, P money and it was that was scared or gun shy or whatever, but it was locked into this space. And so they're just trying to recoup. So they're smash coing, you know, and smashing up company, their, their portfolio companies together on the EMP side um, and, and not appreciating that they have good drop or that prices weren't going to be $26 a barrel forever. Um, yeah. Shocking. Um, but they just couldn't see the forest through the trees. And then you had lots of money, I think, particularly in Texas, uh, where, where we're at, not necessarily Houston, but in Dallas and other places that wanted to get in the space that has been around this business for decades and very seeing like, this business is gonna be around for a long time. How do we enter back into it? And so uh, the private, really private money, um, non-private equity, but separate from that has been flowing in. And I think it's interesting to me that um, the more I come down here, the more I'm on, on the, you know, speaking and exposed to that, that's what I'm hearing that, is that these new investors or folks that are, um, I would say, frankly, interested in oil and gas. And we have such a bifurcation, not globally and in the U.S., of, hey, we're interested in oil and gas, and hey, we can't stand it, and we need to get out. Yeah. Um, and that's where, that's also creating opportunities for new investors because the publics are pulling out. You know, as we were talking about, Harold Ham is looking to take, wants to take Continental Resources private, which I've said this, you know, lots on the podcast. You should have done this a long time ago. You should just uh, text Elon 
Yeah. You know? Exactly. <laughs> real fast. Exactly. We'll take these well um, but it's because you have so much flexibility and, yeah. and you can't handle, you know, you can't work in this market. But what is your thoughts on those new investors? Who are they? And how does that, like, I mean, you're you're seeing it not directly related to your business, but it is directly related to your business yeah. because some of those are, those are the companies that you're working with. Um, and what you do, you're having to, like, if they can prove up these, you know, well performance, whatever it is, even if it's, you know, 10 wells, um, whether they're trying to package this up and, and smash them on the company and sell it, or they're just trying to develop it and make money on this. Yeah. Um, just, I'd love to unpack that a little bit. What do those new yeah. investors look like and what are, what's your exposure to that? There's no right or wrong answer here. Yeah, I, uh, so, um, you know, in the investor world is something that we're getting into. Uh, so once we've done that optimized design, uh, we'll actually help shop it and bring capital in for the pad. So if it makes the pad more money to add another well, then we need to go fund it. Uh, so, you know, we're getting exposed to that. Uh, and so we're seeing trends uh, as we go shop those deals around. I think what we're noticing is uh, now that everyone's moving to drill the value, mm -hmm. uh, it opens up a lot more opportunity for investors to step in. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I think is the seminal change uh, from pre-era to the current era and why these new investors can come in. When you think about a shale well, it's you really get a payback in at these prices in a couple months. Yep. Um, and that's such a crazy concept to think about. Like. It's crazy. And then, you know, you could you could actually sell that to PDP. There's there's a lot of PDP buyers. You know, and especially as inflation, you know, continues to get worse, uh, buying physical assets is always a good thing. Uh, so I think there's going to be, and PDP is easy, you know, you fit decline curves, you just buy it, it's, you had to. You're buying in production, so, um, yeah. you're, yeah. Yeah, so, so that, there's a great market for that. Yep. So. Even at these prices? I think you just do the math. I mm -hmm. mean, it's, it's not, the, the opportunities are there for developers to exit their position right. to be like pretty production buyers and there's okay. enough out there that want to pick it up as even just a, a diversified portfolio okay that's fair um can you break up the can you explain the drill the value you've mentioned that a couple of times yeah what does that break, mean yeah okay so they spent a lot of time putting together presentations about how much money they're going to make when they drill it out well that's what they got to do <laughs> so you got to produce the cash flow so drill the value basically means um taking the acreage position that you have and uh drilling it out uh, in the most valuable way you can for all the investors involved. And is that, um, I mean, and I appreciate the concept, uh, I would say, is that is that, uh, is that concept kind of thriving right now given one, oil prices are high, so it's yeah. like we're gonna capitalize on, um, you know, the most we possibly can right now. Um, and there's there's a, you know, a nugget that I took away from our conversation last night um, and with, with folks on the table in the room was the, um, maximizing every well in this, mm -hmm. in this price scenario, or th this price environment. And I'm not sure, I, I really, you know, people who are slightly more uh, negative on you, where U.S. oil production is going, I really don't think appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Is that you can't have hundreds and hundreds of private operators really focused on maximizing each well output and mm -hmm. not get a production growth increase. I mean, we're sitting at 11, nearly 11.7 million yeah. barrels a day. We're definitely gonna exit the year well over 12 million barrels a day for, for the U.S. And that's meaningful. Um, and it's because of this, I think what you're saying is like, people are saying we have to get the most out of this. Yeah. And our well, if you put yourself in the position of a uh, small operator, they worked really hard to get that lease position, mm -hmm. perhaps even had a non-marketed deal that yep. they're able to pick up 
they, you know, they took a lot of debt, they took a lot of money to develop it. And this is their one shot to monetize it. Then they got to do it all over again. Mm -hmm. uh, and getting land and getting good acreage is hard. I mean, you, you really got to fight for that. Yep. And then once you have it, you got to do the best job you can. And the way most of these um, compensation packages are put together, they only really make money in a good upside. So if they, if they just do an okay job, they may get a little, but pretty much the equity gets all the money back yep. uh, plus, plus points. And so I think what's really important to realize is now this crop of leadership that's in all these companies are really trying to maximize uh, all the work they put in, like to get it and, and to bring the money out. That was a switch from the acquisition uh, um, style of building a company and then yep. getting purchased by a larger yes. company. They've already bought, they have too much. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these, um, a lot of these companies that, are, that put a lot of acreage positions together, they have a lot of acreage now. And uh, there's gonna be some swapping of development. Uh, there's also probably gonna be some sophistication in contract operating and uh, some drill codes, and, drill codes yeah. and all. There's gonna be more sophistication Absolutely. there. Because when you look yes, at that, that will evolve, it's gonna evolve a lot. It's already changing uh, in talking with founders who are putting drill codes together. Yep. They're and thinking about it differently. And we, it's, uh, that's a, such a fascinating aspect of this. Because if you think of one, you're sort of kind of summarizing that, hey, a lot of this, for, for all intents and purposes, most of the acreage is bought up, right? So people have it. And then it's, but you, if you're all these privates and it's kind of patchy and all over the place and you know, the publics don't want it because it mm -hmm. wasn't sexy enough and the returns weren't good enough. But for privates, the returns are, are good. I mean, and just get phenomenally better as prices go up. Yes, mm -hmm. lots of inflation, lots of burdens, but all being said, prices are high. And if you can get the drill bit in the ground and produce the damn stuff, you're getting money. Mm -hmm. um, so the evolution though is they, they will continue. I want smash codes are not a good, basically a good term, but I mean, you're gonna see some kind of consolidation there. You have to see some smaller companies coming together that would maybe then look to be sold to a bigger company, mm -hmm. a, a, a big public. And if you don't see the public side, I mean, I would say- I think it will still happen. I think it just won't be the same frenetic right. market that we had in the past. So that, there's definitely a sentiment change and maybe it's a little bit being here from Colorado to Texas, but I would say that even several, a few months ago, um, earlier this year, I would say that there was a pretty negative sentiment on the market from small companies say in the Delaware or even Midland that thought, you know, their initial outlook, you know, several years ago was say, I'm gonna sell to the public. And then the public space has, because of the investor pressure and ESG and the ridiculousness going on with publics, you know, that just kind of went out the window. I think it will come back. I, I absolutely think that, yeah. you know, as we, you know, flip around from uh, policies and everything, and we, we ha have a shift on, we need this energy. I do think there'll be a, if we can get some clarity and, um, on the regulatory environment in the US um, mm -hmm. for shale, that would shift. And so, you know, if it's a change in um, con congressionally or if that's a change in the White House, I do think there could be a sentiment shift where public companies are are interested in actually buying these uh, these smaller companies. Mm -hmm. So one, they have to sort of wait it out and they have to understand the market and they have to navigate it. But it does seem like that you're sort of echoing and I'm, I've been hearing a little bit more of a positive sentiment, not necessarily, hey, the publics are gonna buy me, but the opportunity of doing things with others or it is evolving. And um, by the way, prices are good. And so maybe I just developed this asset and my key guys are, you know, my backers are happy. Um, so things just seem to be going on a more positive track, mm -hmm. uh, which is largely independent by higher oil prices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think people are still evolving their strategies. 
when I talk to them, I think they're entertaining several strategies at once. I don't think people are locked into yeah. anything right now. And maybe that's what you're what you're saying too about just the sentiments improving, meaning they're starting to have some positive strategies put together. Whereas before, I think there were a lot of survival strategies, right. uh, given um, the pressures on ESG and uh, the energy transition. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, uh, we can't get rid of oil as an important energy feedstock. It's just, this is a trillion, multi-trillion dollar investment we've made over the last hundred years to build our energy system around it. So I think that, um, you know, when you think about the role of oil going forward, it's still a very bright future for that. And so I think that the trends we're talking about now, like drill to value, et cetera, I think what we'll probably see it is based very basin specific mm-hmm. trends. So for instance, DJ's already been rolled up right. to, to a few companies. Um, it's a thinner reservoir compared to the Delaware. The Delaware has a lot of complexity yeah. in it. So I think the Delaware still has lots of place where people can oh, step in yeah. and make money. There's a lot of running room. Um, and so I think it's going to be, I sort of feel like you could tie it to the amount of running room and uh, the uh, locked up services, midstream services. You yeah. can start thinking about it that way. You know, because then you get like back office improvements by by combining the companies. So I think it'll be tied to, to the base of maturity. And then, um, you know, for these companies, I think they're going to keep having to move into more technical acreage. If they want to do it again, they're just going to have to move into technical acreage, mm-hmm. which is like tier two and below. Right. Um, and then once they figure that out, once they figure out the technical acreage, you could sell it. Well, and this you is, sort of like figure out the puzzle. This is where um, I think uh, I think people have to realize is that one, you can be positive on on oil, so it's like. You can wrap your arms and head around. You know, can I have different strategies and trajectories? Mm-hmm. Um, headwinds, I think, are you know all these things that we will we'll close this. You know, before we close, we will talk about the negative side and actual oil prices because it would impact on this. It's mm-hmm. it's easy to be very optimistic when prices are this high on mm-hmm. um, this space. Um, but those varying strategies of those companies, and I, I 100% agree. Delaware is it's stacked. It's it's deep. It's thermally mature. Even the stuff that I mean, the shifts in sentiment of. Oh, we don't like all the gas, and now it's like, oh my gosh, we love the gas because we mm-hmm. have to price this. As long as you have the takeaway, which we're, we're going to have some issues with that probably in the Permian, but you know the midstream fixes are, are pretty quick. So it's that I mean, all this stuff is positive now um, mm-hmm. because prices are there, and um, I mean that that's also changing for. So I think one just a, I'm not sure people really truly appreciate, and I'm, I don't think in, in on Wall Street or in New York if they really appreciate that. Yeah, that stacked pay in the Delaware, um, you know, thermally mature, overpressured, lots of gas. Um, it still has running room, and it's mm-hmm. that no, we haven't. Uh, not everyone knows exactly the secret perfect sauce on completions, which means there is upside, mm-hmm. um, and you can see that actually in just normalized decline curves. They have improved in the Delaware, and they continue to even just by a little bit move up, um, and that's meaningful given how many wells we put in the ground. Um, and you talked, you know, at the beginning of this, I don't know if we, we actually said, you know, parent-child wells, but we talked about that before. And I think this, like, DSUs, parent-child wells, development, um, uh, people sort of, you know, a couple of Wall Street Journal articles on, you know, bad cube development and the downspacing, you know, everybody freaked out about well spacing mm-hmm. and, and thought, oh my gosh, we just don't, we won't have enough wells. And that was kind of ridiculous thinking. I mean, you, the Wall Street analysts threw the baby out with bathwater, not understanding the rock. And now okay. it's interesting because no one talks about you know how many wells, and we do know a lot of a lot of publics at least have upspace, and they just yeah. they have their kind of 
you know, this is how we're doing it, we're going forward. Yeah. Um, but it seems like in our conversations and what we were hearing last night and stuff is the privates are more open to actually doing that tinkering, adjusting their well spacing oh, units. Yeah. DSU, which is your drilling spacing unit, if people don't know, it's it's how many wells you're putting in, in your spacing unit. Um, and you, commodity prices do impact that. So if mm-hmm. commodity prices go up, you typically can, you know, down to put those wells tighter together and maximize them when prices lower, you know, you need to probably widen that up depending yeah. on, on reservoirs and everything. Yeah. But I mean, that technical aspect, I would say, is that, would you agree with that kind of synthesis? Is that? Yeah, I think telling the street how many wells you're gonna drill is a silly way to explain the productivity of your reservoir. Um, and I saw that when, they, when companies started doing that, it, I was like, you're, what a bold thing to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's, it's, I'm really happy the industry's moved more towards what's the resource and yep. what's it worth. Um, and I think that the investment community was right. Uh, the industry overpromised manufacturing mode and cube development. It's not, shale is not manufacturing. Shale is a reservoir just like any oil and gas reservoir, but it's different. Mm-hmm. And um, the investors, I think, like just tying some of your thread, the threads we talked to, you have new investors trying to step in to a more technical acreage, but with really high commodity prices. Mm-hmm. And so I think what that means is we really have an opportunity as an industry to, to nail it, to make, to be the industry that we all thought shale could be yep. when we started doing this. And it was for a brief period until we blew it up. Um, but now I think we can do it right. You know, we have- Even if prices backslide? Even if prices backslide. Shale is so elegant. It is, you can, you can, you know, you can do the math to figure out how many wells you should drill to stay in cash flow. You don't need to fire everybody. Yep. Uh, that's just that's just pattern behavior from mm-hmm. the industry. I think um, I think if we just sit down, like it, you know, if you just think through your acreage and as price changes, you can just stop drilling for a little bit mm-hmm. and then pick it back up when prices come on. So, you know, the amount you need to drill to keep things going is a very interesting and uh, optimization problem that's different for each company, yep. but it's it's solvable. And so if the oil price goes down, well, then well costs will go down a little bit. Yep. Right? So and the ability to sort of respond. Yeah. If this industry has proven anything, we can drill and complete a well at surprisingly good quality and surprisingly good costs. And that really explains, so I would say, and um, I say this a lot, but one, I would never bet against US shale because yeah. you cannot bet against these producers. And this this industry is exceptionally resilient, which is why I actually see more upside potential in production and, and mm-hmm. downside of price in the, in the long term because the production potential is good. Just, just think about this. Like, What if instead of thinking about shale as, um, we think about it as like a quant mm-hmm. opportunity, okay? So it is almost the most elegant quant system out there. It's better than real estate. Mm -hmm. It's a physics driven system. It's well delineated. Mm -hmm. Um, We can make money whenever you want to make money. You can save money whenever you need to save money. I mean, and the the IRR product, like the IRR for these um, DSUs are good even if oil price drops to like 70. There's still enough drillable acreage to keep keep companies going. I, I almost see shale as transitioning into a quant, not manufacturing. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. It's not manufacturing. You're not printing widgets. Right. Instead, you're uh, you're always optimizing economics, and you're looking for places where you can make money 
And you, the only way you do that is by having a really good understanding of that rock that and was, having it that put together. To the, yeah, it comes back to that. Always to understanding the rock. But shale is more quant than conventionals, mm -hmm. I think, because of how fast these things produce and the low perm, which is elegant because if you had a conventional reservoir, you put two wells in, they'll start talking to each yep. other eventually. And shale, no. <clears throat> it's, it's very elegant. It's very unique. They just talk to whoever you wanted to talk to when you fracked it. And then that's about it. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't extend further. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, it's like a, a, there's a lot of marriage uh, jokes that I can make right there. Okay, so the sentiment I think um, one I, I'd say one of these this is one of the most optimistic conversations. I I mean it, the further you get outside of shale, and I would say if you go to, to London and other places, there's probably a lot of naysayers on you know that just don't see the opportunity. They think it's all been drilled up and acreage is, is tapped through. So one I think. Um, that optimism is is, um, is positive and, and good, obviously. But the sentiment around, um, I do want to bring this back to sort of the public-private side because it seems very, and I mean, case in point of Harold Hamm saying he wants to take continental resources private is that the sentiment around um, oil, largely, I mean, if you're a big picture, is extremely bad. Yeah. So oil prices are high. Um, the economy is not good. The global economy is crap. Um, oil prices will be coming down, not because oil prices are necessarily high, but because all prices are high and we have very high inflation and high oil prices and the consumer just can't handle, um, I mean, it, it's taking a beating right now. That being said, there, the positive aspects for the industry is that oil prices, you know, could easily come down to 80 bucks, um, 70 bucks, whatever it is, still be able to make money. And what happens, like you were pointing out, is that you will be able to hire people, people will get into the field. So the, I'm not saying it would be perfect, but I... I the industry does not do, you know, the knee-jerk reactions that we've seen. So the public-private split, the sentiment is bad on the publics. They're not leading in the space. Um, they're leaning into all the net zero stuff and they're, you know, publicly doing that, which is putting a bad uh, face for the industry. Now, that being said, you're obviously exposing, you know, explaining that there are investors that are looking past that and seeing through it and saying, well, it will be around. Well, and I also think those, those new investors are assuming that that's been done. I think they're saying, you know, this isn't our responsibility, that they've already been, you know, analyzed for this right. and critiqued for right. it. So let's just assume, you know, that's worked and it has. I think oh, there's been a lot of improvements. And I also think what's interesting about the public sentiment is uh, everyone's talking about record profits for some of the publicly traded mm -hmm. companies. Well, they're also not putting any capex back in the ground. So exactly. it's a very easy solution. Just, you know, investors need to say, okay, we'll go back to putting capex in the ground. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, there doesn't need to be any sophisticated things that come out really. And that's going to bring the price down too, you know, as the volumes go up because they're going to reinvest. And so I think we're just in this period where they're reaping in a lot of those uh, profits. The investors are getting happy. They're getting worn back into the space. Oh, you know, US shale does have a lot of running room. Oh, there's a lot of international shale that, that could start being and developed. Yep. Um, and there's shale seems to be everywhere because it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so people just don't know that. No, and I think that, um, so, and this this, this is a, a great way that you should sort of begin to being po the positive sentiment. But um, so the, the real question, this is what I, I wanted to talk about, is like the what happens when the sentiment shifts? Because this industry does not do a good job of when things go downhill, um, especially during 2020. I mean, if you had, if you knew you're going to be in this business, you should not have stopped drilling. You should have kept drilling through it. You should have completed the wells, not turned them on in production, 
and you should have capitalized. And a handful of companies did that, but the whole industry should have done it because they knew they were going to be drilling wells two years from now, but they, yeah. they couldn't and they were afraid and they freaked out. However, so that being said of this sentiment, I think the public privates right now are, um, if, if I view ESG pressure, it is transitory. And I say this a lot, it's unlike inflation, it, it is transitory. So. This I describe it as the ISR run that goes like from industry to industry. <laughs> this, well, I think people just don't appreciate that just like we have to go, you know, telling uh, operators that you have to buy acreage at any cost at $60,000 an acreage when prices were around 50 to 60 bucks is the same as saying, hey, oh, and put a bunch, several billion of your capex into low carbon. Um, yeah. And people think that's going to be forever. Well, when it's contributing to an energy crisis and ESG problem in and of itself, because you're Exxon and you're putting three billion of capex into low carbon at a hundred dollar oil price environment, your that money would be better yeah. spent putting that into the drill bit and putting that. Into well, the even ground. BlackRock has level set on some of their expectations. Well, and they so they say, and this is where I say this bifurcation just seems yeah. to grow. But if that was to, you know, eventually, and again, you shift in, in policies, shift in politics, potentially even, I know people don't want to believe it, but the US being pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, all of that would flip back to say, you know, investors would view the US oil space differently and yeah. saying, you know, actually let's go, let's go to town and go do this. And that has a positive impact on the privates, but that sentiment overall of saying, okay, you know, the publics right now are just not, like you said, they're not, they're not reinvesting, you know, they're holding that flat and the shareholders are happy and they're making money and, and everything's good there. Whereas the privates are saying, okay, this is what we're doing. But but sentiment on in prices, and that's where I think the market feels, um, nobody feels comfortable. And I know this from folks I work with in and outside everybody, the cold calls I get, nobody's comfortable with, uh, or I think deeply appreciating this sort of new $100 oil price environment. They uh, aren't comfortable how we got here, they're not, and they don't know exactly where it's going. And so my fear on that sentiment is that if it drops quickly, um, how does the industry react? And how does the, you know, the current investors and the private equity guys, do they freak out? Or do they, you know, look to companies like you and do they say, okay, no, no, let's everybody calm down. We're still gonna be investing in this, we're gonna write this through. But to me, that means that what I do and help companies, like you have to have a, you have to have a understanding where, what you do in different oil price environments, why prices are moving there. You have to articulate that, you have to be comfortable with the market. Doesn't mean you like it. It means you have to be comfortable with how things are going to navigate and how your business plays out into it. And I don't feel like enough companies are, uh, at least from what I'm seeing, is appreciating like how how important all the all the stuff is to throw together and say, this is what oil prices could do, different trajectories, and here's what our business is going to do in that scenario. Here's where we're going to pivot, we're going to make money, here's where yeah. you know, we're going to see opportunities. Do you think they're there? Do you think there are is there some companies that are there? Do you think that you know we could get into where sentiment is? I think when prices crash, if you're caught with difficult financial vehicles that have timing that can't be renegotiated, you know that is, those are company killers. I do think that at times you do have to take those risks, and you know, they're measured risks. Right. I think for as you get larger, they've made they have resiliency strategies. And I think after going through this last downturn, every company that I've talked to does have a resiliency strategy in their back pocket of what does it look like when this happens. Um, so I think people have a plan. I think companies have a plan. I, I think part of that plan is everyone makes less money. Um, and that's just the nature of prices going down. I think with the improvements on the technical side, I think it means we could still be 
having active development in areas where it makes sense and be uh, more confident with that. And so I think we could unlock more acreage that we could still drill if we have better technical models. I, like if you think yeah, about the uncertainty yeah. band, yep. you know, if we can bring this down, then we're gonna have more acreage available. Now that doesn't mean we should necessarily drill it, um, but uh, I think that, I think there's a lot of break even prices that even with the most conservative drops, uh, companies know if they're sitting on those types of acreage. And from what we see, a lot of companies still do their planning around 75. So everyone's moving not on the new oil price, everyone's using 75 for a lot of their future outlook right now. And even that, I would say, I mean, think about a couple of years ago when it was 55, mm -hmm. you know, and 50. And if you, you know, I wouldn't, if I'm talking to a company, if you're not, if you're not running on a $50 price tag and, you know, two buck nag gas. So yeah. even moving up to 75, but, and there are a lot of notable consultants and folks in the industry that were telling, this is during 2020, that were saying there's no, no way shale can even come, even remotely come back if it's not north of 75. And that was ludicrous because uh, lots of folks don't appreciate the, the, we have this many different operators, uh, just individual operators. They're not one monolith and, and shale is often viewed as like one single, you know, entity that just functions like this. Yeah. Individual companies, individual behaviors, Investment well, it's also a very niche industry. It is. If the price yeah. goes down, you're going to leave? No, you just sort of weather it and you come back. Um, now, some people do leave and they leave that niche industry. But I think that's the, the fact that it's so specialized and so technical is what gives it a lot of resiliency. And you're kind of alluding that you think that this, re okay, let's pretend we, we get a, we, we're going to correct at, you know, the end, we end the year at 75 bucks. You're almost painting the picture that the investors and your exposure seem there is more resiliency because of the downturn and because of the opportunities and what people seem to come in that even if prices dropped you know they are there's more resiliency on the investor side at least from the privates that yeah. they're willing to go hang tough and actually probably I if think, they see more opportunities get in more and the, i think the reason why maybe i have the optimism is because it's 75 but we're probably like feeling recessionary market forces at right. the same time in which case that 75 looks even better. Uh, because if you can pick up, okay, you can pick up even a 25% IRR project in a recession time, that's a great deal. Right. And investors know good deals and they'll come to that deal. With $100 oil, some of these projects, uh, the math doesn't look, it doesn't look right, you know, when you, you do it and you have like an 80% IRR project, but that's just what happens when the commodity prices go up. So I think there's just lots of room for those points to go down. And if we have a, if we have a, uh, if we're drilling in areas where we're very confident about it with operators that can deliver, I think we're still gonna have a lot of very attractive projects at that 75 oil. And I think there's lots of investors who would want to get in on those projects. Um. Gosh, this is, this is probably one of the more fun podcasts I've had because I feel like I'd love to have some um, rock samples and some frac samples <laughs> like here to turn out with this. And then we get a close on, on the macro. And that is a, um, obviously he was listening to the presentation I gave last night on this recession risk. So one, I mean, I 100% believe we're, we're, if we're, we're, for all intents and purposes, we're already in recession. Just because it, people are moving and spending money and everything doesn't mean you're not, I mean, I think we forget I, we all live through recessions, like mm -hmm. people were still living, still eat and breathe and do things. It just yeah. isn't very fun. Yeah. Um, and this, we're, you know, headlong into this recession right now. It's probably already starting in Europe. I mean, the expectations are that when kids go back to school in Europe, 
you know, folks have already, they're spending all their savings over the summer. Um, the situation in Europe is very bad. And then when it comes to the fall, we're really gonna see spending patterns and shifts change. Yeah. And we already have, you know, we used to be worried about inventory of, of stuff. And now Walmart and Target have too much inventory. And that was a quarter ago. So we're probably gonna be going into, you know, the fall with lots of inventory, people spending patterns changing. Um, and it does, I, I say there's a, a positive aspect for the industry and I tell you know clients and operators this is that we're going to be able to, um, and I'm not saying this is a good thing when everybody else is losing their job, but when the Fed is raising rates and they're trying to cool off you know, a very high inflation of 8.6% was the read last week, which or the two weeks ago and then you know, very poor sentiment shift and we had to raise in rates, the, the Fed in order to do that has to increase unemployment. Unemployment has to grow. And that's a really, that's something that this industry needs to understand. One, they appreciate sort of recession and oil prices and what that all means. But um, it means there is ability to, you know, some of the inflationary pressures and some of the just getting people to work, um, we can be hiring. This industry can be hiring those people. And that is a, a, that's a positive measure to get out. And it's positive for, it's positive for people for having, you know, coming back into the industry. Um, and it also means that you're 100% right in a recessionary environment when things are looking so great, but you have an industry that's okay because we're not likely to see oil prices crash uh, to 45 bucks a barrel just because of, you know, supply and demand dynamics. Um, but even if they come down, it's still going to be a more attractive industry and we're going to need that production. Um, so all being inside of all the issue pressure and the you know, folks who don't want the production, it's still happening. Yeah. Um, and so in a recessionary environment, this this is where, and I've been telling a lot of folks is, the whole industry is going to perform, outperform. Um, not like it's, it's boom times or anything, but it's gonna be performing. And that's very important to think about and articulate to investors to say, this isn't, you wanna hold on to this. Right. Um, and you want to navigate it and be careful of how you're thinking about it. Yes, prices are going to come down. Yes, demand's coming down. But it, we're not cratering. We're not going off a cliff. And the resiliency is pretty is pretty good. Yeah, and I think uh, just to put a, like a finishing point from our perspective, I think the industry will be very good stewards of capital. And I think with our uh, design service, that's exactly what we're trying to do, is make sure that we're the best stewards of that capital that is going to be coming into this space. Because this capital that's coming in needs to make returns. Yep. And I think we're set up for that. Nice. Well, nice to tie it with a bow with your positiveness in your company. Um, well, this has been really fun. I mean, do you have any other, you know, last random thoughts or questions for me or anything? You know, I feel like we haven't disagreed that much on, you know. Go head to head on some things. Yeah. It's been a very constructive discussion. Um, yeah, I don't think we should finish with a disagreement. A disagreement. Yeah. Yeah. That seems that seems poor form. Uh, so, uh, very positive discussion overall. It makes me, um, from the, the technical rock perspective, I don't think I can underscore enough of of the potential for U.S. shale and and global shale to sort of yeah. to come up. And we're seeing this in with Saudi Arabia. We're seeing this in lots of places where you know the, there's definitely a pickup. So, yeah. um, I would say, and that's why I'm. I'm I think the challenge with international there's still a lot of challenges. There, there, right. There's and a ton of challenges. I think the government. You know, the private ownership of land in the U.S. makes a big difference for us to bend the crucible. It does. It and does. I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. International's not ready. Right. From from my perspective, it's although um and I, the last thing I'll say is like the Jafar Basin and what's going on in Saudi Arabia is one of the things that when people look at the market and they say. Yeah, I see a very constructive macro scenario, and it's just going to be great. I, they're not seeing um, that there's a, a, a slow and steady uptake and ramp in Saudi Arabia. That they are really it's taking years, but they are really going after the Jafar Basin. Um, they're really going after the gas side, and um, it, supplies are coming back. 
um, yeah. no matter how you spend this. And so there's countries that own the asset outright, like Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I think the, the bullishness on, on shale is, and, and every many countries in the Middle East are, are dabbling with it. So that being aside, um, this has been super fun. Yeah, it's been thank you. Awesome to, this is great. Yeah, awesome to have you on. And you will be listening now. That's um, right, listen. So Exactly. So most people, most people, when they never listen to the podcast, they start the last one and then they always say, and then they work their way back. And I have to, I mean, they, they still hold their like value, I would say, mm-hmm. in many ways because uh, the information is still relevant. But yeah. uh, thank you so much. Thank you. All Thanks right. for having me. Bye, guys. Bye.